You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. I apologize for my cloudiness this morning. I spent all, you'll understand, I have a 13-year-old, 6-year-old, 5-year-old, spent all day yesterday at Dollywood in the rain with three kids, and so I can't even find my glasses, okay? So that's just where I'm at, but... God can surely communicate through all that mess. Um, this morning, uh, Amber got to ride roller coasters for the first time, so she was really excited. She's she did better than the big kids behind her on one ride. The one guy was complaining; he was screaming the whole time. I feel like this thing's gonna come off, man. I'm too big to be on this ride, you know. And she's just sitting there like, "What's wrong with him?" You know, this is fun, you know. Anyway. So we're glad you're here this morning, um, and uh, make sure you hug Vanessa a lot. Um, they'll be going to Florida, leaving us for six months, so make sure and, and let them know we'll miss them. I hate it every time they go, um, but I'm just glad they're with us when they can be with us. So, um, But we've been on a great journey in the, the book of Mark, been wonderful hearing that the discussions around in our small groups have been really good around this. And if you want to attend a small group, you still got time to do that. If you haven't done that, uh, they'll end with the Operation Christmas Child shoebox packing party, November 13th, right here. And we'll all be together. And then we'll kick back off in January after the holidays. And I know some of you guys will still get together anyway. You'll probably do Thanksgiving meal together and maybe Christmas uh, little party together. And that's a mark of a healthy group that does those things. They actually want to be around each other when they're not in small group, right? When they're not being made to be around each other. That's a good thing. But we're in Mark chapter 8 this morning. Very important chapter because of the transitions that take place. And I'll talk more about that probably next week. I didn't get near as far. I was going to try to get through this whole chapter this morning, but just not happening. Um, so we will talk about that more later before you get to verse 26 and how that marks a huge transition in the earthly ministry of Jesus and and what that meant. But this morning, I just want to start with a question of of saying, how many of you have, would just acknowledge this morning, most of you probably would, that you have seen God do amazing things, such an amazing work in a group of people, Maybe something you've been a part of, but you've been a part of such an amazing work or seen such an amazing work that you knew only God could have done that. Like, right? Okay. That's an amazing thing to witness, to see that happen. Like in this church or if you're a part of another church and you saw that happen. Uh, anybody been a part of that in a church before, seen just just really cool, amazing things happen that you go, only God could do that. I mean, I, I think about this place, and and the question becomes, how many of you think he can do that again, right? We would all want to acknowledge that, right? We all, we all want to acknowledge that in our minds, that he can do those kind of things over and over and over, maybe even bigger, maybe even better than before. But, but the real question, what what we come back to, well, really two things, is if you think you can do it again, or maybe you don't, how many of you are living what it takes to be a part of that bigger and better miracle that God wants to do among his people, right? Are, are we, Or are we just sitting back, waiting on something to happen so we can jump in on it, right? Real question at the heart of that is, is, what it comes down to, and we'll talk more about this at the end of chapter 8, is what it comes down to, who do you really think Jesus is? Who is he really to you? Is Do you believe in the real Jesus of who he says he is, or is, are you just waiting to jump in on something later if it, if it happens, just in case? But today we'll be looking at the feeding of the 4,000 in chapter 8, and if you were here a couple of chapters ago for the feeding of 5,000, you may automatically be going... Didn't we cover this already? Like, this is this is such a similar story. Why in the world would you cover this again as though it's at least similar to the other story? It's not the same. Why would we, what else could we learn from another feeding, right? But there's, there are such 
big differences and a big point to the second feeding that it, as I have learned, it's almost hard to teach just on one of them and not teach the other because of the things that are in them that are meant to be together, like in the context of, of all that. Surely you can obviously preach from one and get some points out of it. But for example, there's such big differences, but that but mean things in there and t- things you don't have I don't have time to cover but for example in the feeding of the 5000 they had just been out there for one day the the these Jewish people in a Jewish area but yet the gentiles been out there for 3 days with them okay and 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 so more hunger in this account we look at today than the first one because it's 3 days instead of just one day okay the first account is if you read that, the feeding of the 5,000, he tells them to, to sit on the green grass, okay? Which indicates, given the area where they were in, around the Sea of Galilee, it would have been late winter, early spring there, so you would have had grass growing. It, 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 it kind of gives you some indication of time of year and shows you a difference in, in time that would... That all makes sense. Like the Bible totally makes sense when you catch these little details because people go, oh, same story. No, it's not. There's such differences, and even the the small details validate it's different. Um, But many months have passed by, and in the second account, there's no mention of grass, probably because it's late summer. The grass has died off, and it's just more barren ground than grass. I mean, it just gets really dry. And so... Uh, next difference being chapter 6, feeding of the 5,000, there were five loaves and two fish. And in the second feeding, the 4,000, there are seven loaves and we don't know how many fish. A few fish is all we're told, right? We're not told exactly how many, but I think it's interesting that the numbers, um, in chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, they picked up how many baskets of leftovers? Twelve, right? Twelve baskets of leftover. In chapter eight, here we'll see they pick up seven, and the baskets are different. There's wording in this that tells us that the baskets are even different. In the feeding of the five thousand, the word that uh, Mark uses is for a small, like little lunch basket or something. They would be able to tote along with them themselves very easily um, to carry their stuff in and some lunch, whatever. In this account, it uses the, the words for like this huge basket, which relates back to the same wording like when Paul was was trying to, they were trying to get him out of the city and they lowered him over the wall in a basket. It's the same word used there. So that had to be a large, uh, one guy would say, hamper-like basket. Okay, so these baskets are even huge that he's talking about in this story are, are different. And finally, this, just this difference in location. In chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000 takes place in, Gal- in Galilee, the Jewish-occupied area of, of Galilee, uh, where there were hundreds of towns and a huge Jewish population. Because like, in that account, if you remember, he's, they say, you want us to go down into town and buy everybody food. Like there was stuff around there. There's all these things going on. Uh, but this takes place out in this area near the Decapolis that we've been talking about, a Gentile-occupied region, not a Jewish region, much more remote location. It says it's near all those ten cities where where all these people lived, uh, but it's out away from all that, and it's not something they just, they didn't say, hey, do you want us to go to town to get something? There was just, they're in a place where you, you couldn't have done that, okay? So all those differences, and let's read Mark chapter 8, we'll just read, verses 1 through 10 here to start with and then talk about this a little more and the differences. It says, In those days when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, very key thing right here, Jesus, we'll talk about this more in a minute, Jesus never says this himself anywhere else in Scripture about himself. He says, I feel compassion. He never uses this word anywhere else but here, okay? I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and these are Gentile people, okay? If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And I felt like that at Dollywood yesterday. Good thing they had all these eating places. Anyway, 
and some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the people to sit down and take the seven loaves. He gave thanks and, and broke them. And he started giving them to the disciples to serve to them. And they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away, and immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanutha, which we'll talk about in a moment. But you would think they would remember from chapter 6, they've already been through this, but if you remember the story in chapter 6, they didn't even get it, like the whole point of the whole thing, and he even talked about their hearts being hardened, right? You th you'd think they would know that Jesus could feed these people. You're like, here we are again. It's like, this is a repeat. This is months later, though, but it seems they have kind of forgotten the episode, or maybe there's a difference in how they perceive where they are and who they're with of whether Jesus is going to do anything or could do anything or not because of who he is and who they are. But their hearts are definitely not in the right place yet as they're headed that direction, but as we have seen and will see. But when I read this account, um, when I read these kind of things, it's like this in the Gospels. It makes you think back to like the children of Israel like when you when you read stuff like this and you go here we are repeat and they still don't get it and then you go back to the old testament and and they wandered the wilderness and he fed them with manna and he parted the red sea and he hit the rock and water came out and all this stuff that 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 Jesus that God did um back then uh, after all those provisionary miracles and yet they would get in the wilderness and complain and grumble about their their being set free right and you're like, what is that? Or they would send them in to spy out the land, and then they would complain and rebel against God and, and be like, well, I'm not going in there. But God said, yeah, but we don't think he can come through. Well, did you not just see all that stuff? And it's this repeated cycle over and over again where God provides for the children of Israel. And then they turn around, and it's like they forget who God is and what he's done and just turn right back to themselves and to their idols, right? And it's this cycle over and over again. But... But what's interesting is I read something like this and I go, you know, I know I can be that way. Um, but it's an interesting that in the New Testament, you really see the same thing. Like you just, you see this over and over. And what is it in us that causes that? You know, I used to be a little bit mystified by it, but, you know, after all those miracles, these people still acting like that, but... Um, then you look around even for us today and you just realize you know just it's people and a lot a lot hasn't changed you know i'm a lot like these guys are i don't know if you would admit you're a lot like these guys are i, I know god's word i know his truth i i've seen him do things i know his promises i know he has i've seen him do things that i go only god could put that together right but my immediate reaction is to think what? When something happens that doesn't go my way, when things change and I don't like it, and I go, oh, there's a, it's a big problem here. This is really hard, right? This is tough. Not sure if I can, if we can, if the church can get through this, right? Don't, don't we do that? Now, I've seen it in my life, impossible things that only God could do, but yet I still get in that same place of doubting, right? This, I mean, this church itself is a testimony to that. We had, we had a difficult time finding a place to meet when we started early on, you know? I mean, uh, there weren't any lost people that cared that we were planting a church, but there's a lot of church folks stood up and, like, tried to stop what was going on, but... It was just like, it was, it, was, it, was, it was amazing that we would, we try to get in the schools, couldn't use schools. We have a great relationship with the schools now. I'm very grateful for it. Um, but we didn't have a place to meet at first. And then all of a sudden, God just provides through Kingswood School. We end up at that children's home. Great, 
chapel that's there on campus. Got to be there for 10 years. I ran into the old director from there just this past week, and we talked about it, and I told him, I said, yeah, just regardless and how things went, it just we're very grateful to have been there for 10 years. It was such a blessing. God really provided for us, and all I can do is be thankful. And and, and, and all that that happened, and we, we, we saw so many things. We grew to be the, at that, right after we planted. I mean, we grew really quickly. It was, it was at one point, the biggest church in Granger County, baptizing a couple dozen people a, a year. <clears throat> it was that way. Budget grew to like 250000 and staff added, supporting, supporting foreign mission work. I turned in Appalachian American right there, sorry. Supporting foreign mission work, a tremendous spiritual growth that took place in a lot of people, in the small groups, and people grew very close to one another. I formed what would be the best friends I ever had in my life. I mean, there was so much stuff; it was amazing. We got this property, then we end up building this building. Like, it just there was so much that happened that we can look back and and if you knew all the intricate little stories around all those things, like that's just the big picture. You would just see things and go, that is crazy. Like, only God could do something like that. Like, we couldn't make that stuff happen if we tried, even though we felt called to start a church and do this and do these things. We just followed him. It's like people ask me, how did you end up being a preacher? When did you know what you called to preach? I don't know. I just followed God, and that's where I ended up. So here I am, okay? I, I don't know. But so many things happened, and, and it was amazing. And then, then trouble came, some division issues, and it, it seemed, it, ha, it, it just seemed like it was impossible to get through, right? Some gave up, some sat down, budget shrank, lost staff, all these things happened, friendships hurt, some lost, a lot changed, okay? I mean, as transparent here as, as I know how to be, okay? But, but there's something in us. This is the part that's hard, and I even struggle with it, okay? So I'm with, I, those that have been here, you understand this. But there's something in us that thinks he can't do this again through us and in us and around us, like as though this, that can't be again, you know? Kind of like reminiscing about the glory days in high school, you know? You're like, I'll never get to experience that again, you know? Well, there might be something better Okay, right? But what is that? And when I, when I when I say it can happen again, do you do you maybe in, internally like you you'll acknowledge mentally like yeah I know what the Bible says and who God is, and, but there's something inside of us that maybe scoffs a little bit or even laughs or even is like <laughs> yeah what yeah I, yeah whatever you know. But we have to remember, Jesus is the one who did it in the first place. So thankful for all the people he used. It wasn't me, it wasn't you, it wasn't anybody that's been here. It, God did that, and he can do it again, but he's going to do it through people. He's going to use people to do it, and we have to be willing. And I'm so thankful for the people who are willing, all of those people who, who made this possible that God used he can do it again. You remember Sarah's reaction? Like, this comes to mind. You remember Sarah's reaction when God told her the Lord visited Abraham and audibly spoke to him in, in the tent, um, saying, and, and told Abraham, said, your wife's going to have a baby. And where was Sarah? She was outside the tent, right? And she's listening. And when she hears that, what does she do? She laughed a little bit, right? Not like audibly, like big laugh, but she just kind of chuckles to herself a little bit, maybe inwardly. Um, and 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 it's just just kind of like this little snicker kind of thing. And so it, in her mind, thinking, well, that can't happen again. And and she didn't say it; she just thought it. But God knows our thoughts, right? But she thought, I'm an old lady. Abraham's an old man. We're we're past the ability to have children. This is impossible. There's no way this could happen. And a voice from the other side of the tent flap comes and says, "What?" Sarah, why'd you laugh? Like, could you imagine? Like, we sometimes think we're alone and we're getting away with our deal, but God knows what's going on. He says, why, why'd you laugh? Is, is anything too hard for the Lord? You remember that? 
And then Sarah said, what Sarah say? I didn't laugh. Right? The Lord's like, yeah, you did. I heard it. Right? Good question to ask yourself. Is there anything that's too hard for the Lord? Right? What What's too hard for him? Is a common cold too hard for him? The flu? Right? Somebody has a, has the flu, they're at home or whatever, you talk to them on the phone, they text you, you see it on Facebook, right? And you're like, I'll pray for you. Like, you got the flu, I'll pray for you, right? But somebody comes up to you and says, I have stage four cancer. Is our automatic response, let's pray. Because he can fix that too. Just Can he fix that just like he can a common cold? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is that, does that stump him? Does he go, hmm, that's a little tougher. I'm going to have to, let's get together with the Trinity and talk about it and come up with a plan. You know, because it's a, it's a tougher illness, right? No, no, it, he doesn't have to go to the huddle and, and figure it out. He, he can handle that just the same, right? Maybe hard for you, but it's not hard for, for him. He can handle that flu the same as he can stage four cancer, same as he can handle the flu. It's it's always a good question to ask ourselves, though: Is anything too hard for the Lord? Like sometimes we just have to start there to remind ourselves. Like yeah, to me this is tough, but to him is this tough? Somebody one once said, I'm not sure where this came from. When God wants to do something wonderful, He starts with a difficulty. When, some, when he wants to do something really wonderful, he starts with an impossibility, right? And that's, that's a big point of today and why I think this story happened and we'll get into to, to a point of it is he wants to start with the impossibility because he gets more glory that way, right? So his disciples answered, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Like, he's like, how are we going to do this, Right? And I think the key, <clears throat> excuse me, to understanding this is, is the term of, of why, the, why the big difference here that, that is a key for me is when they say these people, right? They say, how are we, how are we going to take care of these people, right? It's not the same way talk, they talked back in the other story. It's not like they have forgotten the miracle Jesus pulled off and are completely idiots about the whole thing. I mean, you'd have to be idiotic not to remember, like, to forget it. You, you may not have understood it, but I don't think you would forget it, right? Yeah, I mean, but they're, I, I don't think they were completely like, what are we going to do? Like, how, how's he going to pull this out? But they, the, the key, I think, to this is, in, is interpreting the situation and realizing Look, I, I don't know how this is going to happen. I, I didn't know how the last meal feeding thing could happen. But they're, what they're saying is, but how is he going to satisfy these people? Now, so the reference here is to these Gentile people. How's he going to satisfy Gentiles? They're not our people, right? It's one thing for you, Jesus the Jewish Messiah, the king of the Jews, our king to take care of us, right? But but we're outside the covenant geography. We're not even in the, the promised land anymore. So how, how are you? You're not, you're outside of your boundaries here, right? I mean, to them, that's what they thought. Now, I'll talk about some things that kind of show that, but it's one thing for you to feed your people who are expecting a Messiah, but we're outside of that area. We're in the Decapolis area now. We're in an area inhabited by non-Jewish people worshiping seven different gods, ten different gods, whatever it is. You're, you're the Jewish Messiah. What on earth would you have to do with these people? With those people, right? Because if you remember, Jews had nothing to do with Gentiles. I mean, they, it, a lot of what they grew up was stay away, stay away, stay away. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't be made unclean by them. Don't be defiled by them. Don't mix with them. Don't. That's what they had been taught, right? Strict Jews wouldn't even walk down a street where a, a Gentile had walked in, unless they 
without placing their robes real close to their body. It's like a symbol of I have to stay away from that, of, of keeping themselves clean. We, but we don't act like that way in church today, do we? Like nobody ever does that, do they? Right? Don't want to get messy and up close and, and touch those who are far from God that, that maybe don't believe in God, have maybe rejected Him, who don't acknowledge Him, who live far from Him. All those messy people, those sinner people, right? As though we weren't ever a sinner, you know, you know, as that hasn't ever been us, right? But we act that way. It's like, oh, I can't get involved because that would be really messy, right? That would complicate my life, and I don't want to do that, right? As though we can't be friends with them, invite them to church, that kind of thing. Don't want my kids playing with those kids, right? I think that was a great reason we started out at Kingswood is for God to show us it's not about that whole... It's like we need to be ministering to people. We need to show our kids how to love and take care of and share the gospel with those people, right? As though we never were those people and still aren't sometimes those people, right? How are we going to ever minister to people, reach out to them with the gospel if we don't get involved in their lives? We just can't. If we don't brave the mess, the frustrations, the complications of it all, I'm glad somebody did that for me. I know I was clean cut, good kid, whatever. Had my parents fooled, all that stuff, right? It all ha- it happens to us all, okay? There's a high level of naive amongst 99% of parents with their kids. Okay, just letting you know, okay? That includes you guys sitting in this room because a lot of you are looking at me like, what? Right? Not me, not my kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay? And I'm sure I'll be, I'm in that too, okay? And I'm glad somebody did it for me. I don't know about you. Or have you forgot? Interesting, that's a big miracle we forget, is just the the own transformation of our own hearts. And these people in this story for us are the people in our community who don't know Jesus. And it's difficult. It's messy. And that's what these disciples are thinking. They're like, man, this is going to be, these are, you're, you're not even their Messiah. That's what they're thinking. That's, that's totally not what Jesus is thinking, right? See, Jesus is getting these guys ready for what? The Great Commission. I mean, he's got to transition their thinking altogether from, from, from where they are, and it's about forming this people, freedom, establishing people, land for you, Messiah for you, to understanding. Now, okay, here's what this is where all this is going. It's not just you. Yeah, it's first for you, but then to the Gentiles. That's what the Bible says over and over and over, right? It's, it's for you, but then for the Gentiles. I think I just said fur. Okay? And so so it's it's for you before these people because it's for you first because you're going to take it to the world like i'm i'm getting you 12 ready because this great plan is about to take place and everybody on earth is going to need to know for god so loved the world right that he gave his only begotten son well jesus can't just drop that on him before he leaves like he can't just go oh by the way now that I've died on the cross for your sin, understand this isn't just for you. I know we haven't talked about it, and I really haven't shown you that, but would you tell everybody else in the world about it? Thanks. See you later. Right? Like that. Like they would just be like, okay? Not just the Jews, guys. The whole world, okay? Just clearing that up. See you later. They, they wouldn't grasp that. They wouldn't have been conditioned to deal with, with all of that. Because they were they were conditioned that the Jew, as the Jewish people that the promises of the Bible were for the Jews. And that's just where they were. His salvation isn't just for the Jews. We know that. My message isn't just for the Jews. He wants them to know that his love isn't just for the Jews. His compassion, the word he used in here specifically, I think is very intentional. Is to look at them and go, this is what I feel for those people. And you're following me and I'm telling you they matter too. Okay. 
my compassion isn't just for the Jews, it's for the whole world. It's for the Decapolis, it's for every place. It's for Washburn and Thornhill and Claiborne County and all the way up. I had another, this is just crazy, like, this is where I know there's something happening that I just don't understand and I don't know how to be a part of it really, I'm just like seeing it and just trying to figure it out myself and some Thornhill gang folks will understand my heart in this is I got I've gotten to be a part of a I call it a book club there's a bunch of pastors that's getting together they invited me in um, because the Eli Lilly Foundation pays for the books and for lunch for us once a month and I was like well cool I can go for that free's good and so we sit down there's about 10 of us and and a couple of the guys that we've talked about this before about just seeing what God wants to do from like here to the Tri-Cities just straight up towards Middlesbrough, like this area that just really doesn't have anything new going on, of just another guy in that thing starts saying the same thing. Like, and we've never talked to him about it. And I, and me and this other pastor just look at each other like, is that crazy? It's just like, you're just watching this deal go, and we're just going, and then he's asking me to go to lunch, and, this, and all these things happen, and I'm just like, you, like, I don't know what's up, but it's really interesting. I'm just gonna, I, I believe he can do something that is far beyond even here. It's not just about here. Right? But anyway. But then their minds there in this time, they're going, why is Jesus dealing with these people? And he specifically declares that he has compassion for these people. And there's an interesting principle here. Jesus does feed the Jews first. I just talked about this a minute ago. He gives it to the disciples first, then he gives it to the multitude second. And the principle that we see, like even in Paul's writings, like I said, is God's mercy and grace is to the Jew first and then also to the Gentiles. So he feeds them, but then he wants the disciples to be a part of feeding that multitude. Like he, right? I mean, think about this, right? Did Jesus even have to have the disciples involved in feeding those people? Did he need them? No, right? He, he could have just stood back and went, and all this manna would have fell from heaven, right? And there it would have been on the ground. They could have just had enough to fill themselves, right? Happened before in the wilderness. He, it, he could do it again. He didn't need to give it to them to give it to the crowd. But there's a simple understanding in here. Not just saying it to them, I have compassion for them but here you give it to them, is part of that whole teaching them the Great Commission and how this works. It's, I, it's not going to be me. You're going to go do this. I'm going to do it through you. He's showing them that God wants to do a work in, in the world, but he wants to use us to do that work. He wants to do his work through you. And, and so the question becomes, do you think God needs you to do his work? He doesn't need you. There's some song we sing, and that was a question asked to me because we, we actually do look at the lyrics of stuff here and, like, make sure it's biblically sound. Like, anytime she comes up with, uh, my wife back there comes up with a song, she's like, I think I, this is a new song I want to do. I ask for the, print out the lyrics, give it to date she knows, and I'm going to read the lyrics because I don't want us singing anything that's just not biblical. So I want to make sure it's theologically sound, even what we sing. And there was a song that, um, we sing, I can't even remember what it is right now, but it says something, um, didn't want heaven without you. Um, what a beautiful name, is that what it is? Okay, so that lyric came into question, and I was like, well, he doesn't, it doesn't say need, it says want. So, so I was good with it, because, yeah, he, it wasn't that he didn't need, he, it wasn't a need thing, like he, it's not like he couldn't, have heaven without us but he wanted us and that's true okay so, so that's the same principle here is he, he doesn't need me he doesn't need you but he wants us he, he doesn't need any of us he basically what he does is he he condescends he limits himself to using imperfect tools to get the job done us Okay? He says, here, take this bread, 
you, you'll be an instrument in distributing the bread representing Christ, the bread of life. You'll be an instrument in distributing what people really do need, which is Christ. I want to use you. I want to use your gifts, your talents, your resources. He doesn't need you. He wants you. Are you doing your part in that? And now, to prove that point, if, if you think about it, um, I didn't get a chance to, to con- do consultation with my revelation experts in the church, but in Revelation chapter 14, it does talk about, it, says, it talks about God will dispatch an angel to fly through the earth, throughout the earth, and preach the everlasting gospel to every tribe, tongue, nation, language, people, right? He's going to get the job done once for all, right? The whole world will hear the gospel by an angel proclaiming it around the earth, all around the globe, right? So why didn't he just do that from the beginning? Like you think, if he has the power to do that, if he's going to do that, why didn't it just like every generation that comes around just go, okay, it's time to send the angel, let's go do that again, right? And then that way we don't have to do anything, right? It's just God has... There's a reason. God has determined that he wants to use imperfect tools. Why? I mentioned it already. Because he gets more glory when it's imperfect tools. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the things that are weak to confound those that are mighty, right? So that no flesh would glory in his presence, right? You understand all that? So... When God does a wonderful work through limited means, he gets more glory. Sorry, football folks, I'm a basketball guy, okay? Basketball peeps in the back, we can handle this, okay? One of the greatest basketball movies ever, like probably the greatest to me, best basketball movie ever, Indiana guy, is Hoosiers. Like, right, I thought about you when I was thinking about this last night, because Milan, Indiana is where it actually really happened, Right? And, and there's, there's this guy, Jimmy Chitwood, was the star of the movie, actually, but the real guy's name was Bobby Plump, okay? Real guy. It was a, school, it was a real story, okay? It's a real deal story. A school of 100, like 125 kids beats this big city state championship. Indiana beats this state championship. The school that was had over 2,000 kids. I mean, big difference. Underdog, right? Small town. These guys... Just amazing. Indiana still claims in the last century the greatest moment in sports ever was that shot that that guy took at the end of that, was that game. In their whole history, their whole state. Greatest moment in sports. Why? They got beat by these guys the year before. Why was that not great? Because you go, well, they were a school of over 2,000. They were also, they, like, they had all these great players. They were all taller than those guys. They, like, we resonate with the underdog story, right? With the with the the weak defeating the powerful, like like this come behind Cinderella story. All that it just in our hearts we go. Now that was amazing. It's not amazing when a team that's better than another team beats them, right? Remember the what's the? Oh gosh, I forgot now. The you may remember football guys, basketball guys will remember. Um, Two years ago, um, Loyola, the the school with the nun, beat the beat the was the first round, uh, beat a beat the number one pick. They were the they were last. Y'all remember that? You don't? Yeah, it's like basketball, <laughs> right? They hardly touch each other, right? I'm good with that. Okay. Um, Anyway, it was a school. They were they were like in the first round. They were against the number one team. You know, they put the last team against the first team in that whole first. And they beat them like it's the first time it ever happened. It's just amazing. And we love like I don't even remember who won a couple years ago, but but I remember that story, right? I mean, it's just just amazing stuff like that that we we remember those stories. It's just awesome to come behind the the weak doing something amazing. I mean, it's the whole point of the David and Goliath story, right? God could have God could have sent his army out there. He could have just inspired them. They could have all went out there. If the army would have defeated the other army, would we have thought it was that great? We'd have just gone, okay. Army beat an army. No big deal. They even tricked Goliath out and did some deal, and they had a special weapon. They 
killed the Goliath with. Like it would have just been like no big deal. But when this little guy, David, defeats the giant, just walks out there, then we go, wow, only God could make that happen. And, and everybody goes, God is amazing. Not David. Not the army. Not me. Not you. Not this church. Not it's, When God uses imperfect things, he gets more glory. That's just the way it works, right? And I love that. The reason I love that so much and that resonates so much with me is because I so often sit back and I go, if that's the way it is, then I know he can do something with me, so sign me up. Like, because we think often so little of ourselves that we just go, I don't think I can do that. All the more reason that God wants to use you to do that. Sign me up. If he'll take anybody, and I'm an anybody, I'll be one of the whosoever's. Sign me up. Here I am, Lord, send me. I'm good with that, right? So anyway, he breaks the bread, gives it to them. They disperse it to the multitude, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now, those who had eaten were about 4,000 cents of the way. Now, so throw in something cool. Okay, back in De- Deuteronomy, De- in chapter 7, the Lord begins the chapter saying, when the Lord brings in you into the land that you are going to possess, he will drive out the nations before you. It's the land of Canaan, right? This is the land of Israel they're now occupying. Okay? He's going to give you the land, and he's going to take out all, all the nations out, right? And then he mentions all of them back in that, in that chapter. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Jebusites, Hivites. I don't remember all of them, right? I can make all those ite jokes that preachers do, but I won't bore you with that. Right? So this, it's, it's one of those things. There's, but how many nations were mentioned there? Anybody know? Seven. Pretty cool, right? Like how I did that, like a little four-year-old? Seven, right? Okay. So how many loaves are there left over, right? How many baskets are left over when they're done? Seven. Interesting. Twelve in the first story, the twelve disciples, right? In chapter six, the twelve tribes, twelve disciples, they hear there are seven Gentile groups, okay? There are seven baskets left over. These Gentile nations that God would cast out, Jesus is saying, I didn't force them out to destroy them, to get rid of them, to, to just say that, well, the heck with the world, right? This is just for you. He's saying, I have a heart for, I have compassion, as Jesus would say with his mouth, for those Gentile nations that were sent out, Right? had a conversation with a guy this past week and he's speaking real harshly about foreigners and but he he made this comment about um the, the the about the bible about the god of the old testament in particular was a violent god okay um is violent and destroys people and blah blah all this kind of thing and 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 i just had to like I just said, well, it's, if you read the Old Testament, he's actually very compassionate, very loving, very merciful, and very kind, okay? Because when you see places where he actually just destroys people, does those things, you got to read the history because there's this long period of time he's been very patient, giving them chance after chance after chance after chance before it ever gets down here when he could have just destroyed them like right off the bat because they deserved it. He's been so merciful and patient and kind for so long. So I, I look at the God of the Old Testament and I go, he's actually very loving, very patient, very kind, just like Jesus is. Yeah, there, he has the right to judge and to, to, to bring about judgment. And we, as the church, what we got to be careful of is often we think because God has a right to do something, we as his people have a right to do something. And we're not God, okay? We're called in this church age, okay, um, in this this era of, of, of his people, we are to be Christ to people. We're to love people, share the gospel with people, um, minister to people. And yes, we, we hold to truth. Yes, we speak truth to people in love. Like there's a certain, but we let the government be the government. We're not the government, okay? Do we have influence on, do we vote? Do we do? Absolutely, okay? But what I'm saying is my focus is not on making sure 
I just want to be careful, okay? My, my, I don't want to, I, I don't, you guys who know me know my passion for people with the gospel goes way beyond my politics, my economics, and any of that stuff. I, like, big gap, okay? To where most people think I don't even care about politics, okay? But I do, okay? Just compared to the gospel, I don't, okay? So, um, I think it's the government's, like, like, this is the issue, okay? If there's a foreigner that's here illegally, I'm going to love them, I'm going to minister to them, I'm going to feed them, I'm going to share Christ with them. It's not my job to put him in my truck and go take him back across the border and throw him in a river. Okay, just not. Okay? Do I agree with the government if they want to do that? Absolutely. If they're here illegally and they need to be deported, I'm good with that. I hope we're not getting in trouble, okay? Um, but but I, you understand what I'm saying? Like, I support the government and things that are legal should, that should be done legally. Okay, and I know that sits with different people. Like, there'll be half the people here next Sunday. But it's it. I'm just saying I'm gonna love people and I want to share Christ with people. I'm far more concerned about their soul. Like, this is more important to me than the fact that it ticks me off that my tax-paying money is going to give them free health care. Okay, I'm much more concerned about their soul. I don't even know how I got here. Okay. I'm just, I'm just saying my love for for Jesus and, and the Great Commission just far outweighs any of all this political stuff. And when we do that, when we get here, and we and that becomes our focus and our passion. I think that's when God can really do some amazing things because that's what I've seen before. We're just not as concerned with all those things. Concerned, yes, but not in in our passion for. And I think I think Jesus is trying to transition these guys from it's about you, and the Jews, and me being your Messiah. We got to take this to the world, and you're going to have to develop a heart for all these people. And you're going to have to be far more concerned about that than me becoming your political king of your nation, because that's where their their focus was, right? Hopefully, that, you get that. Okay, I'm so off track. Okay. Um. Anyway, let's just go here. One of the greatest writers of ancient ancient history, biblical history. This guy, Alfred Edersheim, okay? Very interesting deal. He said, every single phase of Jesus' ministry, I love this, this will transition you back. You'll like me again after this, okay? Uh, and he has a, just in every single phase of Jesus' ministry, he ended up with a feeding. It's very interesting. I had never thought about this before until I read this, okay? When he was done ministering in Galilee, he ended it with the feeding of the 5,000 with the Jews, in that area, okay? When he was done ministering to the Gentiles, the second phase of his ministry, which is where we get to verse 26 and things change that I was talking about earlier, okay? He ends his ministry with the feeding of the 4,000, okay? When he's done with his Judean ministry before the cross, when he goes to be crucified, he ends it with a third feeding, which is the Last Supper, right? But, but, and he doesn't say this, right? But, and what does what but what does scripture say comes at the end of it all? Like what happens when marriage suffer the lamb, right? That's coming at the end of all this. Like Jesus just likes to eat. Like I'm like I'm we're made in his image and we like that, and I think that's part of that whole thing. Like, okay, as much as we like food here and gluttony's a sin, I understand that. I know no Baptist preacher's ever gonna preach on that. It's it it's a thing of there's something about sitting down over food with people. That's why small groups can be so effective and those kind of things. Is, is there something about sitting over some food and talking with people that just disarms everything? Like maybe that's what we should have been eating this morning when I talked about all that stuff I just talked about. Um, but anyway, I, it's interesting as you look through Scripture. Now, verse 10 says, Immediately after he sent them away, he gets in his boat and he goes to this place called Dal, Dalmanutha. Now, now, 
I hope you're going like, where, where is that? What is that? Right? Where in the world is Dalmanutha? Because it's only mentioned here. It's the only place it's ever mentioned in the Bible. It, it is mentioned in ancient literature, other things, ancient Jewish literature, only mentioned in the Bible. In Matthew's account of this, it says they were in a place called Magdala. Okay? Who would be from Magdala if you think about names of people in the Bible, right? Mary Magdalene. Okay? Mary of Magdala. That's where it comes from, okay? The the little town just north of Tiberias on the southwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is this is ancient Dalmanutha, okay? In the in the New Testament times, Magdala or Magadon is some of the texts say, and that's that's where they sail to. Now watch this, they hit the shore, Mark 8, 11 through 13, and then we'll end, okay? The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him. Here's these guys again. Seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him, sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And it sounds so funny to us. I mean, it does to me when I go, you see him doing all this stuff, and you can even go back to John the Baptist baptized him and the, the from heaven, the God speaking from heaven, the Spirit falling on him like a dove, like this validation from heaven, because that's one of the things it talks about in the Old Testament will happen that validates because there's lots of people that come along doing miracles and that kind of thing, and you have to be careful. But he's proven all that. And here these guys are still going, I want a sign, I want a sign, okay? You just you just want Jesus to go, Have you not been following me around? Like, have you not been watching what I'm doing, right? How does the feeding of the 4,000? What about feeding 5,000? Which was actually like 20,000, 25,000 people because it says 5,000 men, that all the families would have been 20,000, 25,000 people. You know, but this is, their, their, their minds are not there. They're just thinking of something different, as I was saying, this validation from heaven. The typical word that Mark uses for miracles, he doesn't use here, okay? Usually the word, he uses this word dynamic, um, miraculous sign or wonder this word dynamic okay here the word is different the idea is a sign from heaven that's that's different okay they they want god the father to personally authenticate jesus in front of them they're demanding that okay and remember jesus was baptized by john the baptist we said that already right dove came out of heaven spoke this is my beloved son whom i'm well pleased they want that right in front of them right now right personal heavenly manifestation of from God the Father giving Jesus Christ the authority as their Messiah. Now they ask for that because in Deuteronomy chapters 13, 18, it anticipates that false prophets will be able to come and perform miracles and bring people with them and bring people as followers along with them. So in, in 13 and 18 it says if somebody performs miracles but draws you away from the word of truth, it specifies the Torah of God, the law of God, he's a false prophet, don't tolerate it. Okay, so they're looking for, we want authentication. We're demanding authentication that you're not just one of those guys, but, but we want it from heaven, not from you, because we know you can do that, right? We want a sign from it. We want divine authentication from God that you're the Messiah. So it says that Jesus sighs deeply. Can, can you just picture that? Like Jesus looking at him going, like, Man, I've been working hard at this, and you don't get it. I'm frustrated with you, right? You ever been so frustrated with somebody, you just kind of go, this, I, this, just, this is futile. Like, there's no point in this anymore. Like, I'm, I give up. And you just get quiet, and you let them rant, right? I do that at least once a month, I think. You, you, you'll just... You'll just not see the point and get ex exasperated. In fact, it's a very rare word here used for to sigh deeply. It's a word found in nowhere else in Scripture. It's interesting. And one guy says it's found 30 uh, times in all of ancient Greek literature. It's an amazing word in which it, it's, it means to be totally fed up with persistent unbelief that he just says, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. And he says, it says he sighed deeply, and he says, why, why does this generation seek a sign? And he says, assuredly, no sign will be given to this generation. And he leaves them. Turn around, walks away, 
didn't even acknowledge their request, doesn't try to validate, just walks away. He was done, fed up. Getting in the boat, he just goes somewhere else. But isn't that like us, though? Like when, like we look at these guys going, look at what he's done. It's that same thought process. We've seen him do it before. Why do we keep asking for some miraculous sign for some big thing to happen? Okay? We want to see something non-faith-based in order for God to give us faith. Like, that doesn't even make sense, right? Like, how does that make sense? Give me something visible so that I can have faith that's about trusting you when I don't see anything. Like, it just, it's, it's counterintuitive to the whole point, okay? But he did it before. He can do it again. But he just wants us to have faith and live out the Great Commission, and then those things will come, okay? We don't need any signs. Jesus already died on the cross in our place for our sin and told us to go and tell. So, so what else do you need? Like, why do we need something else? Do we not just follow Christ out of faith? We don't need it. For, for you, are you, are you waiting on God to do some miracle before you step up and do what he wants to do? That may be on a personal level. Maybe God's saying something to you on a personal level. Something he's calling you to do. Maybe on a, on a corporate level, church level. What, I, I don't know. Okay. <clears throat> But we don't we don't need any signs. Jesus already did what he needed to do for us for us to know he loves us. He has all authority on heaven and earth. And he tells us to just go and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, and he'll be with us always. What more do you need? Okay? He's going, I'm giving you that, but now you're going, Yeah, but I'd just like to see something really cool. You know, just to make sure. He just wants us to live by faith and live out the Great Commission. As a, as a church, that's where I can speak to this morning. Are, are we waiting on more people to show up? Like we're sitting back going, more people just show up, man, this would be good. That's every church forever, okay? Every church wants more people and a bigger budget. Okay? That's, that's just church. There's never enough money to do all the ministry you want to do, Right? I mean, I'd love for the office to be fixed, basketball court, soccer field, tools we could use to reach people would be great. But even if we don't have them, I still tell people the gospel and share with them, minister to them, love them, because what they ultimately don't need is not more stuff themselves and places to play. They need the gospel. They need Christ. And we can do that without that stuff. Be nice, yeah. Help, yeah. But it doesn't matter. Okay? And, and we say we want more people to come, but do, are we willing to take time to build relationships, invite people over, minister people, share the gospel to be around those people, right? Are we waiting on more people to help? If just more people that are here would do more things, right? It would be nice, but we just need to have faith and do our part. It'll be okay. Maybe we have to do more in the meantime. And again, are we waiting on somebody to drop another whatever, what, 140,000? It's happened before. So there's road check, 140,000, right? Excuse me, 139, okay? Would be nice. It's a, that's a faith thing and a gift of giving and that kind of thing and living out the Great Commission that way. But if not, we're still the church. We still just, we got to do what we're supposed to do to me, the greatest thing that can happen is for us just to be with people and open our mouths and share with them and be intentional. Live your week intentionally going, during this week, I want to be intentional about inviting people to church and, and sharing the gospel with them and ministering to them and just living out the Great Commission where I'm at all through my week. Okay? Okay? More people, more money, all this is not the key to it all. The key to it all is the gospel and living out the Great Commission, okay? You with me? Like, I, I'm, like I'm struggling with this to understand that this is the, this is the deal. Does all this help? Yeah, that's, that's great. It'd be nice to have debt paid off and, you know, like 
240 on this building and property and all this stuff, like you go, yeah, it'd be nice, it'd be nice, whatever. But if that doesn't happen, people can still come to Christ. Like I remember being in Honduras and I was doing the um, inauguration service for the church they built in Montezapotno where we're supporting Joel Nain, and I was preaching, and I just remember saying, and this is the truth, I just looked and I said, these, because they're so proud, like, and it's good, I'm glad that they were proud, but I just had to say to them, these block, the block building, cannot save anybody. Can't save anybody. It's nice that this is here, but this block can't save anybody. You, you got it. Only Christ can, and He has chosen to do it through you by you telling them. So it's nice to have. It can't save anybody. But the deal, God, it's just tools, okay? God has already done amazing things and can do it again through you living out the Great Commission in faith. You've heard it said over and over, Jesus used 12 guys to change the world, right? Well, this, preachers say that because it's true, okay? And he can do the same with people in this room, okay? God may not be what, doing what we need him to do, but we must remember his mercy, his grace daily, and what he has done, and that alone makes a lifetime of service and effort and giving and doing worth it. It really does. We shouldn't judge God and sit back and pout on Him or not be excited or motivated because He isn't doing this the way we want it done. I'm with you on that at times, okay? I get that. And I'm so grateful for the, all those who go all out here and see the potential and change lives. Thank you, okay? So maybe God's speaking to you about your personal life. I don't know where this where it lands and Things going on in your family, and you think he can't heal, he can't do, he can't change, he can't, things can't happen. He can. He's done it before. There's people sitting in this room, everything from healed from cancer, really bad stuff, to family members who they thought would never change, addiction problems, all the, the whole gamut. Okay? He's done it before. He can do it again. Be careful leaving that out of your situation and thinking it just ain't going to happen. Okay? Or maybe he's speaking to you about your involvement here and what you need to do here at the church. Either way, I don't know. But just trust Jesus and follow him, whatever that is. And that's how, that's how we'll see it happen again. So let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. I'd just say first off, Father, for... For ourselves to say we acknowledge we we've been those people. I've been one of one of them. I'm a Gentile. I'm so grateful that it was for anybody. I'm so grateful for your son Jesus, who would die for me, my sin, give me forgiveness, make me right with you. So I could have a relationship with you through him and not only that but the Holy Spirit which comes inside and gives us new life allows us to see your truth and live by faith I'm just so grateful Father to be able to see that and experience it and Father help us because at times I know I'm even at times so busy with life I, Father I'm so caught up and so many things that I just I get the I get in those places where I just feel like I don't have time. I don't I'm not able to live it out the way you say I'm supposed to. But help me to just see it. To open my mouth to love people like you love people. To not be afraid to invite them out for a meal to invite them over to my house to go out and do something with. Help me to just be involved with people and love on them and especially those that are far from you. And may at the right time when you prompt me, would I just hear your voice and just share the gospel with them in a way that they can understand and they know who you really are. And that they see you above everything else. 
Father, as a church, I just pray you would just, in the hearts of people, just call them to yourself and call them to whatever it is you're asking them to do, that they would hear that clearly and they would be faithful to step up and that we would be a church that comes alongside supports that I can help equip them or do my part as the pastor to help them fulfill what you call them to do. So Father, we just we're just so grateful. We also know if we really are and we aren't just saying that with lip service that we'll, we'll act on it that will show in our week. So Father, thank you so much for how much you love us that you would do all this. You could have easily got fed up with us and aren't frustrated with how we get it wrong over and over and over, but you don't. You are faithful. You're patient. And it just shows how much you love us. So thank you for that. May we respond appropriately. In Jesus' name, amen.